This is part B of episode 15, where Jude and I continue our conversation with Anna Christina. Enjoy. But, you know, when we're going in through this particular stage as well, right, we're, we're transitioning, we're going in through these different children life cycles, so to speak. How do you, you as a parent start teaching your children about, you know, the importance of money, how to spend, how to save money, how to invest money? Because, you know, and this is again talking from personal experience, talking about money when you're growing up was not something that was looked upon greatly from parenting uh, perspective for myself. It was like, you know, let the, the grown-ups handle it. And, you know, when you get there, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. But I think things have changed. I think uh, we've got to be a bit more transparent and get children ready, you know, in this, what they'll face in the future. So what are some of the top tips and advice on the subject? Yeah, I love this question because I think about this quite a bit from me, like from my point of view, when I was growing up, like what's my first money memory? And maybe that's a question that is kind of important for you to ask yourselves as well. Like, what's that first money memory you had? Is it positive? Is it negative? How did it make you feel? Can you actually remember your first money memory that you have? For me, it was, I mean, I actually don't, because as I told you, for us, it is completely a bit different and in a way that, you know, hey, you've in a particular age, right? You have to just focus on your studies. And you don't have to worry about anything else. When you really get into the workforce, that's when you really start thinking about money. So, and and just to to let you know, like by my schooling and my education was uh, back in India. Mm-hmm, and yeah. the focus was just on studies. You know, it's just like, we'll, we'll take care of the rest. You just focus on your studies. When you get there, you know, that's where it is. And I remember that first money memory was when my, you know, dad opened a bank account for me, <laughs> but that was very later on in my life. So that was, I think, my first money memory into, okay, opening up a bank account. Yeah, what an exciting one probably for you as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because it's something which, you know, you don't focus on because that was not, as I said, not the primary focus point. But when you did, then it, you know, kind of kickstarted this thing. Okay, you know, you're opening a bank account. What can you do now forward to maintain it, you know, so on and so forth. So that was my first money memory. And did you have support then? Like once you opened your bank account, did you have support in how to manage it? Or was it like you have a bank account, figure it out? Yeah, so it was it, it was interesting again. So it was like you open the bank account and then it was like, okay, you know, maybe sometimes when you have your, your birthdays, you have some, you know, gifts coming in. You may, you know, obviously get some of some things from your relatives. Then how do you build it, right? You you put in those extra savings, put into the bank account, and you know try to build on your bank account in in case you want to purchase something, so on and so forth. So that was like just the basics in how to start off with. But you know something like how we have it right here, where you know you try and reward children, saying that hey, you know what, help out in the chores, and then you'd be added to your bank account. That was some concept which wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just different parenting styles, and it comes down to that. Yeah. But yeah. as I yeah, that's that was my experience, at least with the first starting points. It's interesting because it sounds like your parents really valued education and that was yeah. really important to them, which is great. They didn't want you to get distracted by other things. But then in the compromises, then you at an older age maybe had to figure out the financial side, whereas you yeah. could have potentially had access to it earlier. Right. So, Absolutely. I mean, as parents, we're, we're always trying to do our best, you know, yeah. Sam, what about your first money memory? Do you have one? Yes, yeah, so I do remember receiving a little bit of money as a kid, but again, similar to what Jude said, it wasn't so much because, you know, I was doing chores or helping out so much around the house. It was just something that I got 
every now and then. And I guess I didn't really figure out the best ways to use money and save money and invest for money until later on in life. So I guess as when I was younger, really like I had, you know, physical money like coins and every now and then some notes and I would try to save up for like, you know, a toy or something that I really wanted. But other than that, like I didn't really have like a goal to kind of save up for my future. And I didn't learn anything about stocks or property or anything like that until much later in life. So I guess for me, like, yeah, it was just something that I knew was something that people liked and enjoyed. And I knew that people would spend it once they had it. So yeah, it really came down to kind of some self-learning afterwards that I found out all these other kind of aspects that money could be utilized for. So yeah, like I'm hoping later if I'm lucky enough to have children, I can kind of teach them some money lessons a little bit earlier in life because kind of similar to Jude as well, there was a big focus on studies and education. And I think my parents were kind of thinking, oh, the money side will kind of handle itself later. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Life once we got better jobs and things like that. So yeah, I I am hoping that later on, it'll be a bit different if I was lucky enough to have children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my first money memory was I just had like this turtle piggy bank, like it was a turtle, yeah. but it was a piggy, a piggy bank, <laughs> and I just remember like collecting coins and being like, I can buy a five cent candy because at that time, you know, you went to the local corner store and you could get a five cent candy, and, and being like, this <laughs> this would let me have some sweets. It's interesting that I asked I asked both of you what your first mem- money memory is because it's so interesting looking back to think about like how did we get to where we were, yeah. and so much of it is you know from our parents with mm. what what they valued, and I guess for both of you it was obviously education so they didn't want you to get distracted which is which is fantastic right because as parents they're we're trying to do our best when it comes to talking about money or teaching your kids about money it seems as though there was maybe there could have been more conversations around that and that's one of the really most important things is talking about just talking about money at an early age it doesn't have to it it shouldn't be positive or negative money is just a tool it's a means to acquire things whatever those things may be and just having open conversations so you know, my, my, my kids are pretty small, but nonetheless, you know, we'll talk about money that that thing now broke that would cost money to fix it by mm, mm. that money we get because, you know, mama and papa go to work, mama and papa go to work and they don't get to spend as much time with you. We would love to. And trying to just have those conversations from the beginning is really important. Just normalizing those conversations, talking yeah. about how they how you feel, you know, like that broke. Now I feel very sad that I have to go and work more just to kind of explain how money works, like when they're very, very small. And as they get older, they'll understand and see more money come into conversation. So if you go grocery shopping, why did we choose this yogurt over this yogurt? Well, that's because this yogurt is, you know, a bit cheaper, but you get the same amount and having those conversations about knowing about the value of things and creating experiences around that where you can just talk about it in a very normalized setting. Uh, One of the best things I think you can do is talk about it at the dinner table, right? Like just, Mm. you know, in a very casual way so that kids can have those conversations. The big difference, I think, between probably our parents and, you know, our kids is that we have much more financial literacy at our fingertips. You know, you can listen to podcasts and read the books and do the things like my parents were immigrants from Croatia 
they knew just to save, 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 mm. do not ever go in debt. And so there were good lessons that I learned from them, right? Like save, 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 don't ever go into debt ever, ever, ever. But what they didn't really know was how to invest and build wealth that way. My dad, fortunately, understood a bit of property and, mm -hmm. you know, being a boomer was able to uh, <laughs> get ahead that way, you know, time, circumstance, luck, all of the above. Mm -hmm. And that was the only real introduction for me was like, oh, you know, everyone needs a place to live. So that might, you know, be an introduction. And, and fortunately, that was also my introduction into buying an apartment eventually. But the benefit that we have now is that we do have much more financial literacy at our fingertips. There are ways to teach kids about money. And some of them is just about creating experiences where when they're younger, they can work for money because it's really hard to understand the value of money until you have to work for it. Mm, agree. You know? yep. I, yeah, if you like we know those kids that just got cars or you know money from yeah. their parents yeah. and there was nothing they had to do and mm -hmm. if you read the millionaire next door and i'm i'm sure you guys have either heard of the book or read it yeah. um those first generation of immigrants worked really hard but those values didn't get taught to their kids so in the sense of mm. my parents would less likely teach me about that stuff because they wanted to provide for mm. their kids you know so they want to buy you the cars and teach you know give you the things because they didn't have it they came from a scarcity mindset and mm -hmm. so it's very easy for my generation to be like well i'm just going to blow all the money because my parents worked hard <laughs> and that that money did get lost in generations as the research showed but the important thing is like to try to break that cycle as I'm trying to do, or I, I mean, I'm not saying that my parents, you know, did all these things, but I'm just saying it is important to understand the value of money. And that's what I'm trying to teach my kid. And that's something that I think the boomers and whatnot really had to work for, right? Like really had to work for their money because it wasn't easy at that time. I'm not saying it's easy now because housing prices are insane and the cost of living is very, very high, but there is the importance of value for money. And so for kids, some of the best ways to do that is around allowance. You know, you do your jobs and you get paid for it. And in some cases, I've heard of parents who are like, well, you do more jobs and you make more money because I don't want you to think that there's a cap to the amount of money that you can make. Like that's a very valuable lesson. Yeah, or yeah. if you go out and you really want to buy that toy, great, you can buy it, but now you're in debt. And what does that mean? If you're in debt, you also don't get certain privileges because you, it is a negative place to be. But let's talk about that and having really mm. kind of real life experiences that you can create for your child that is individual to them, you know, like they can really connect to it. The thing is, math is an important or maths, as we say here in Australia, is a really important <laughs> thing when it comes to financial literacy, but the education piece is also very important. So if you can combine those two, create life experiences where kids can do the maths, they mm -hmm. can see how it's valuable to them, it makes more sense to them than those two ideas separately. So that is probably what I would suggest, talking openly about money and then creating real experiences where they work for that money and use that money and spend that money so that they can understand that money. Fantastic. No, I'm definitely going to take on board some of those tips, Anna. So thank you so much for sharing. And I guess touching on another point that you just mentioned, I think, you know, 
for for us here and for our listeners kind of we're a little bit privileged that we have a bit more financial literacy now Mm -hmm. and i guess a lot of us understand that incredible power of compounding and some parents you know they want to give their kids a head start and take advantage of that compounding effect and you know start investing for their child really early on so i guess for people that want to do that and kind of enable their children to get a little bit of a head start once they're in their early 20s what are some of the ways that parents can invest for their children and maybe some pros and cons so things Mm -hmm. like investing under a child's name directly or investing under a parent's name. Do you have any kind of insights to share there? Yeah, so there's six main ways that you can invest for a child. There's under a kid's name, a minor account, parent's name, formal trust. There's also insurance bonds or investment bonds, they're called, not to be confused with bond ETFs that you get on the stock market. And then there's also super And all of these are slightly different and it depends on your personal kind of uh, situation. There is some important things that you need to consider for each of these options, and that is the tax implication. There's always going to be a tax implication when it comes to investing. And therefore, Mm. it's really important to know who's getting taxed. Is it the minor? Is it the parent? And how does that kind of work? So if you're investing in a child's name, if they're under 18 years of age and earn more than $416, their investments, so the income that comes from the investments will be taxed at a massive rate of 66%. So this is something that you need to consider for dividends and so forth. So in a lot of cases, this might be not as advantageous. There are some exceptions to this. So definitely look it up on the ATO website. So it depends you know, if your kid's working or not, there's just a couple things to consider. This is kind of put in place so that parents don't invest only in a kid's name and avoid any taxes when it comes to that. So it it, it is uh, something to look into. When it comes to a, a minor account or an informal trust, this is a parent acting as a custodian mm-hmm. and can invest on behalf of the child. And once the kid turns 18, the shares can be transferred over to a new adult brokerage account held by the kid. So that's a, another option that some parents might be interested in. And then investing in a parent's name is kind of as though you are investing in your own name and basically doing everything that you would do. And it's just kind of thinking about that kid as in this is going to be their investments for them. So whether you open up another account or invest in a specific ETF or share in their name, at least you know that that's kind of what you're doing for them. And you would then be responsible for all the capital gains or any of the taxable income that comes from that from dividends and so forth. And it would be applied to your marginal tax rate. Mm. Then formal trusts is kind of like a family trust or whatnot. And this can be, this is more beneficial for people who have a large or a substantial amount of money that they want to invest because it does cost money to set up a trust. But the benefit of it is that you can decide on how the trust assets are then allocated or and how they're invested so how they're distributed and how they're invested and so there's Mm. a lot of flexibility when it comes to that as well Uh, again you have to be aware of the marginal tax rates and who's going to kind of benefit from that so that might be an option for some parents as well then there's insurance bonds and with this as well 
this is a little bit more complicated. This kind of falls under the insurance category. So it, it does have some special rules around it. The idea is that any returns you earn before the 10 years are up are taxed within the bond at 30% and are not included in your tax return. Often this is a really good choice for grandparents or aunts and uncles who don't want to be affected by their own taxable income um, marginal tax rate. And so mm -hmm. this might be an option for them as well. But there are some like special rules where you can only contribute up to 125% of what you contributed the previous year. So there are you should maybe, you know, talk to someone before you do this. And then the last option is investing through your super. And one of them could be through your own super, especially if you're a parent looking to retire sometime soon or potentially once your kid sets up a super also contribute through their account. Now, we know, you know, super is a very tax effective way to yeah. invest because you're only taxed at the low rate of 15%, which is mm -hmm. usually lower than the average person's marginal tax rate. But this can be risky because it is a very long term tax horizon. And that's mm -hmm. why depending like regardless of which option you choose, it would be very advantageous to talk to a tax advisor, talk to a financial advisor as well and see what's best for you because it can be a bit complex and in some of these and setting them up do need a bit of support as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would definitely recommend people seek professional advice, but you've given some really great ideas and areas for people to look into to kind of explore those avenues further. But uh, yeah, definitely, I would say speak to a professional because also just from what I understand, the tax implications for all these different methods can be quite complex. So definitely seek some professional advice for sure. And I just want to also ask, are there any kind of books or resources that you would recommend for people to kind of further understand the cost of children and teaching good money values? Of course, you mentioned your book, but any other kind of resources that you could recommend people looking into further? Yeah, if it comes to anything to do with the childcare subsidy or the paid parental leave or even investing for kids, the ATO website is really important for that to get mm. accurate and up-to-date information. In terms of talking to your kids about money, you know, the Barefoot Investor has great resources, especially his kids book to get them kind of a bit more engaged. And there's tons of YouTube channels that talk about investing for kids as well. But it really, it's really about you as a parent to think about your values and how do you talk to your kids. So trust your gut. And the more you're financially literate, the better it'll be for your kid as well. So you're the, the most important person in your kid's life. Absolutely. If you're looking into those things. Great. Thanks a lot, Anna, for that. And just just before uh, we wrap things up for today, uh, just a sneak peek in terms of what to expect from your book. Yeah, absolutely. So my book is called Kids Ain't Cheap, and it talks about all of the things that you should consider from before planning to have a kid up to how to teach your kid about investing or talking about money. So everything in between is kind of what you can find in my book and definitely a great resource for anyone who has kids or is planning on having kids. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Anna. And, you know, especially it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. You've taken us through certain really great insights, you know, right through that life cycle about from starting off running stage for children right up to, you know, what we can accept later on on the track. But once again, really thank you for your time. I know we are recording this on a Sunday. Uh, we've got other things to do on a Sunday, but, you know, it's been a pleasure having you. 
Thank you for having me. It was so great chatting with both of you. So thank you. Thanks, Anna. It was really amazing to have you on the podcast. So that's all we have time for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to find out more about Anna, the best way to do that is on her website. So it's www.annachristina.com. So that's spelled A-N-A-K-R-E-S-I-N-A.com. And you can also follow her on Instagram. So it's Anna Christina. You can find her there as well. And as mentioned, congratulations, Anna, on your book, Kids Ain't Cheap, How to Plan Financially for Parenthood and Your Family's Future, and is set to be released on the 31st of October. And as always, guys, if you enjoy this podcast, please give us a rating on Spotify. It'll really help us out. And don't forget to follow us as well on Instagram. Just search OZ underscore investing. And if you'd like to contact us, please do so. Send us an email. It's ozinvesting2020 at gmail.com. So with all that said and done, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll see you all in the next episode. See you later.